Hey there, Wizzes, and welcome back to another episode. I've got such a good one in store for you guys today as I welcome my friend Cynthia Samanian onto our podcast. Cynthia is the founder of Hidden Rhythm, an experiential marketing agency for natural food and wellness brands. If you don't know what experiential marketing is, we got you. Cynthia is going to tell you soon. So listeners, you are going to love this episode because we are talking all about how to plan an in-person event for your food business without breaking the bank. Don't you just love those words? Well, if you are short on cash, but know you're ready to up your marketing game, stay tuned. You're listening to Food Biz Whiz, the weekly podcast for everyone in the packaged food industry. Join your host, Allie Ball, to learn how to launch, grow, and scale your business. You'll hear real-life examples from her time as a professional grocery buyer, interviews with CPG experts, and listen in on actual client coaching sessions. Let's get going. This episode is supported by Canva, one of my favorite online tools for creating beautiful, on-brand sell sheets, promotional materials, social media posts, website graphics, and more. I use Canva Pro every single day in my business, and I love that I can save my brand colors, my fonts, and my templates on their platform. It takes the guesswork out of designing graphics, and it saves so much time as my brand elements are at my fingertips. Since their launch in 2013, Canva has helped more than 15 million users and claim to have a design made on their platform every 30 seconds. That's nuts. Try out Canva today by visiting the link in my profile and start creating beautiful on-brand designs in minutes. Hi, Cynthia, and welcome to Food Biz Wiz. Hi, Allie. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. And my whizzes, like I said, this episode is going to be a game changer for those of you who are ready to up-level your in-person marketing. So let me tell you a little bit about Cynthia and we will dive right in. Cynthia is the founder and CEO of Hidden Rhythm, an experiential marketing agency for food and wellness brands. She will tell you exactly what that means in a moment but here is the gist of it. Hidden Rhythm designs and produces in-person events for brands. From hands-on workshops to large pop-ups, Hidden Rhythm's events are designed to grow awareness and build loyalty between brands and their target customers. I love that so much. Cynthia is also the host of The Experiential Table, a new podcast that uncovers tactics, inspiration, and resources to elevate food and wellness events into engaging and impactful experiences. So if you like this episode that we do together today, you are going to love her podcast as well. I'm going to link it in today's show notes. So Cynthia, again, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got into experiential marketing. So as you mentioned, I'm the founder of Hidden Rhythm. We are an experiential marketing agency for natural food and wellness brands. Um, Unlike a lot of other people in kind of the marketing world, I come from a very non-traditional background. I don't have any professional (laughs) experience in PR or marketing. Um, Instead, I came to the world of experiential through my love of food. 
So I'm sure a lot of your listeners here might be nodding their heads that that's also how they got to where they are today as producers. Yes. So basically my story with how I got into experiential marketing actually began really when I think I was a child. It's kind of funny looking back and understanding your through line as you you know, have different careers and end up where you are today. So I grew up in a Persian home. I don't know if you've had Persian food, Ali. Yes, I have. <laughs> it's very abundant. And really <laughs> as a culture, everything is celebrated over food. Yeah. So I grew up helping my mom set the table weekend after weekend after weekend. <laughs> and it was actually through that experience that looking back now, I realized that food really brought people together. Um, not only my family, but my family with friends and others who had immigrated from Iran back in 79 or so. So that was really my parents' connection to food. And it eventually impacted the way I began to think about food and even informed my career in food. Yeah, that makes total sense. I love that it started from a very young age. (laughs) Yeah, but it's funny because today I know that, but back then I had no idea that setting the table would actually set me up for creating experiences for food brands as I do today. Totally true. I imagine you as a little kid being like, (laughs) why mom, why am I doing this? And now in hindsight, you can thank her. Exactly. So long story short, I worked in finance, worked in tech, did all of those traditional jobs, even got my MBA. But all throughout my life, food was something that I continued to gravitate towards. So I would always have my friends over for dinner. I had a food blog, you know, back when Julie and Julia was out, I'm sure Mm -hmm. (laughs) everyone here remembers the the food blogger days um, back, back, you know, in the 2000s. And what eventually happened is that I decided to throw in the towel with the corporate jobs. I left tech and decided that I was going to go all in on food. And I started a food media site called Confetti Kitchen back in 2015. And the whole purpose behind Confetti Kitchen was to empower millennials to have their friends over for dinner. I wanted something that seemed really aspirational and out of reach for my friends to actually be something that was accessible. Um, At the time, you know, it was (laughs) post-election. It was kind of a rough time. And I think people were really searching for connection. And so I wanted to create a site with recipes, tutorials, and events offline that would help bring people together over food. And it was through that business that I actually planned my first offline events. And that was a key part of the business to build community. But I didn't actually know what I was doing until I had done it. Um, And I frankly had never heard of experiential marketing, but I really was doing it for my own brand at the time. Yeah. So that was really the turning point for me. I quickly realized that I loved the magic that I felt when we were able to gather people together over food. And then as I evolved the business, I learned that, oh, wait, there are brands, especially in food, who want to do the same sort of thing for their brand. And so I transitioned the business from Confetti Kitchen to Hidden Rhythm, which has now allowed me to work with some incredible brands, including Bear Snacks, Bob's Red Mill. Uh, We just actually worked with Native Deodorant. So we're expanding into the wellness category, which is exciting. And uh, yeah, and we continue to to host pop-ups, large and small, uh, for both the public as well as influencers and media, really, whoever our clients are looking to target. Yeah. All over the country too, right? Like you were just down in LA for the bear snacks ones. And I feel like you're you're always getting on an airplane. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're location agnostic. 
Yes. And, you know, Cynthia, I remember when you had Confetti Kitchen and you and I met years ago when that when that business was just getting off the ground. And I remember you being so excited about, about it and really being enthusiastic about bringing energy back to or bringing events back in real life, yeah. having that in-person component being such a such a pillar for your, for Confetti Kitchen. And I love that it guided you towards Hidden Rhythm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I worked on Confetti Kitchen and started to understand the landscape of food brands and their options for events, it became very clear to me that you know they could work with a PR agency or they could try and hire an agency that was really um, expensive, frankly, right? And so yeah. I was able to fill a niche of you know being able to support food brands who didn't have these crazy large budgets. Um, but still wanted to be able to connect with the community. And so that's how we started, um, mainly with influencer dinners and events that were smaller scale and have since over the last year and a half or so been able to grow to do more uh, consumer-facing pop-ups, which are super exciting because then you're really able to surprise and delight passerbys on the street, um, you know, families yeah. who happen to walk by. It's really fun and definitely has a different energy to it. Uh, yes. Uh, well, I'm so excited to talk about our topic today. We are going to be discussing how to execute these in-person events without breaking the bank because... I see it all the time. I'm sure you see it all the time, Cynthia. Yeah. These emerging brands don't have big budgets to do anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was psyched when you proposed this topic. You were like, we're going to talk about events, but we're going to talk about low price point events, um, which fires me up. So tell me, well, I think I just took your cue. I was going to say, I'm fired up about this. <laughs> Anything else that you are, that makes you particularly excited to talk about this topic today? Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm really passionate about is being able to inspire brands of all sizes to create experiences that matter. I think we've all been to events that are lame, right? We know yeah. when we see it, it's yep. like, there's food and there's music and there's drinks, but something's missing, right? Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, brands large and small um, are have definitely wanted to do events, but have missed the mark. And it doesn't matter what your budget is. Honestly, even if you are a smaller brand that's just getting started, um, if you're sampling at a conference, like mm -hmm. there's an opportunity to incorporate principles of experiential marketing in that. Or if you're popping up at the yoga studio next door, right? Anytime your brand is actually interacting in the real world with your target customer, you can definitely consider that, you know, a, a form of experiential marketing. So I don't want you, the, you know, the listeners here to, to think that you have to have a six figure budget or that it has to be this flashy pop-up. Yep. And that's what I get excited about is empowering brands of all sizes to be able to connect and build loyalty with their target customer through these ways that, um, once again, it, it doesn't even have to be about uh, spending a lot of money. It's just taking the time and being thoughtful about what you do when you have someone right in front of you. I love that. And I think that you, you're hinging at this, but I, I want to come out and say it, that a lot of what we're going to talk about today can be applied to your demo at a local grocer next month, or that, you know, like you said, the pop-up at the yoga studio or the holiday fair or exhibiting at the good food mercantile or any of these smaller events. It doesn't have to be something that you've 
booked months in advance and that you're hiring an event producer for and really going all in, we can use these tips that we're going to talk about today for the, you know, the week in and week out events that you're already doing with your brand, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I get the small business mindset. I mean, I'm there, right? And when I was doing events with Confetti Kitchen, I didn't have a team and I had barely a budget, right? So I understand what it means to be scrappy. And I, I know that a lot of the people listening here today are definitely capable of elevating that next event that they do. Like you said, whether it's a demo or sampling, they'll be able to use some really practical tips to make it much more impactful. Awesome. Okay. So let's, let's take that, like, let's step back and talk about from a high level, if people are scratching their heads and they're like, okay, but (laughs) what is experiential marketing? Can you give us the definition of that? Sure. Sure. I'll give you my definition. Um, so to me, experiential marketing is all about creating engaging experiences in the offline world, right? So the key is engaging. You're not just showing up and hoping people try something that you're (laughs) giving them and then they walk away and that's it. Um, So we can talk more about what engaging means later on. Uh, And then the offline world, of course, right? So it's physical. Um, Experiential marketing is not an online giveaway or coupon, right? There are ways to make your experiential event digital, like tie it and expand the reach to some sort of digital campaign. Mm -hmm. But what we're talking about is person to person, you're in real life in the physical world. Um, And the goal of experiential marketing, most of the time, I'd say (laughs) uh, 99.9% of the time is to build a relationship with your target customer so that eventually they'll become so loyal to your brand. They will buy from you. They'll tell their friends about you and they'll become you know, what people are now calling super fans, right? And so to build that relationship, um, being able to do that in the offline world is so much more powerful than other forms of marketing, which we can talk about later as well. Awesome. Okay, cool. So, and I love that you had those keywords that we really need to hone in on that idea that it is engaging, (laughs) that it's not just here, I'm handing out samples outside of the water park. And it's also in person, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, okay, great. Engaging and in person. All right. Okay. So can I ask a little bit of a um, annoying question, but I'm betting it's one that you get all the time, Cynthia. Sure. I bet you're, I bet it's not that annoying though. Allie. Okay. You're not that annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Here's, here's my best annoying question. Why, why do I need in-person events when I can just connect with my followers on social media for free? That's a great question. That's not annoying. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's one I totally, totally understand. I mean, I get it. Like I said, I market my business and for me to go on Instagram takes, you know, a few seconds and yep. it's free, right. Versus planning an event. Um, so here's the thing. We are so lucky to work in an industry where our product actually engages all of your senses, right? So we're in food, we're in food and beverage. How incredible is it that, you know, the product that you make uh, is is designed to be consumed by a person and, and there's so much power in being in the same physical space as that person while they're interacting with your product, right? So we, we have a luxury there that, you know, being in food and beverage, our products engage all senses. Yep. So that's fine. Yep. Setting that aside, if we think about 
social media. I mean, it's one part of your marketing mix. Um, but let's think about how much noise is in that, right? Yeah. So we are constantly getting bombarded by one-way messages, right? So TV ads, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, even Instagram content that we're not really asking to see all the time. Yep. So, right. Um, and some of these are effective and that's why people continue to use them. But, you know, I can't tell you the last TV commercial I saw or product placement I saw in a movie. Um, but what's really powerful is that experiential marketing is actually the best way of two, excuse me, the best form of two-way communication, Mm. um, connecting with another person in real life actually impacts your attention the longer you experience a brand, so say, like if you scroll your Instagram feed and you see a post, chances are you're giving that post a second, maybe two seconds, right? Um, now, if you are at the store and there's a brand demoing and you actually stop and engage and you spend two to three minutes, that is yeah. significantly, you know, the, the time of course is yeah. significantly greater, but what your brain is able to retain and potentially store in your long-term memory is so much greater. Um, but what, what also impacts that is the experience that you have. So if you go and you just try a sample and you say hi to the person and walk away, that's very different than if you know you get to learn more about the story of the brand or you're engaging with the product in a way. Maybe you're making your own like DIY setup, um, whatever it may be. So the retention is much greater in experiences, the quality of the interaction. And also, like I said, it's just not as crowded. And when we work, you know, being in the food space, we're able to do so much more in person through our product than a lot of brands can. So I'd say let's use that to our advantage and, you know, really try and leverage this channel. Yeah. I, and I like your emphasis on, on it being a two-way conversation when it's, when it's in person. So often when I'm scrolling social media, I feel like it's a whole bunch of people shouting at me trying yep. to get their message across and there's not much engagement back from my end unless it's a brand that I already know, like, and trust, right? Exactly. Exactly. And events are a great way to get feedback about your product too, right? I mean, we can pose questions as much as we want on social media, but when you have a group of people who have opted to spend five minutes with you or 20 or 30, right? If you're doing a workshop, for example, I mean, you could have someone in the room for an hour who is really excited to learn about you and your product. And if you have questions and you want to learn more about who they are as a customer, I mean, that's pure gold. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You've got that engaged audience right in front of you. And that's exactly whose brain you want to tap into. I love that point. Okay. So one of the misconceptions I'm sure you hear about those events is that, you know, I can do it on social media. I, I can (laughs) connect with my audience for, for less online. Are there any other big misconceptions that you hear about, about events? (laughs) So many. Um, I'd say the, the top few I hear the most are, um, that experiences are for millennials Mm. and millennials only, which I'm here to tell you, no. Um, Yes, Coachella is loved by millennials, (laughs) right? The music festival scene, I think, is a reason why this qualitative data point gets thrown out. But uh, the truth is humans like experiences, right? We connect and we connect through stories. And uh, this idea that 
it's a generational thing, I just refuse to accept. So if you have a product whose target market, you know, is older women, you know, 65 and up, you can still do an event, just go where they are. Right. Um, so that's one of the misconceptions I hear often. Um, the second is that it has to be flashy or mm. it's not worth doing. Yep. Yep. Now that's not true at all. And I'll give you a quick example. And I actually had a, a consulting call with a woman who is uh, an Ayurvedic nutritionist and she has a bone broth. And we were talking about creative ways that she could uh, market her broth through events. And specifically, we talked about uh, Kachari, right? Are you, I don't know. If you, yeah, are you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But why don't you yeah, explain so maybe, it for our listeners? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Kachari, um, it's also Kichdi. Kichiri, there's there's different pronunciations and um, ways to describe it, but essentially it's an Ayurvedic uh, food. It's very healing and nourishing, and you know it's becoming more and more popular through mainstream wellness communities now. But of course, it's been around forever. Yeah, it's kind Um, of like Indian comfort food, right? Exactly, exactly. And so it uses bone broth. And so as her and I were talking about her workshop. I mean, I actually tapped into an event that I had done for a different client, but ultimately we had this idea come together of, okay, well, why not have the different lentils and rices and spices and things that make up this uh, nourishing dish, have them out and have people scoop them up and put them into a jar and take their own kits to go home and then make that that kit at home. Um, And the idea was to you know, give people a reason to understand how they could use her bone broth and what context it's in, really. Yep. Um, yep. But when we talk about cost, we're talking about mason jars and bulk spices and lentils. And <laughs> lentils, yeah, right. Yeah. So it's. But we actually did something similar for a, a big brand event not too long ago, and it was such a hit because what you had was people, like I said, grabbing measuring cups and measuring spoons and. You know, once you get people actually engaging, mm-hmm. and, and that's what I mean by engaging, like actually yeah. doing something, not just listening to you tell them what to do, but they're making something and then they're taking it home, which is actually really powerful because now you've you've transitioned from just being something they experience at the event to something yeah. that they experience in their own home. Yep. And sometimes they're sharing that on social media, right? Look what I made. And you know, that conversation continues. Um but once again, it's not flashy and it's not expensive, but it's still impactful and helps tie the story together as to you know why they should use your product. And she had even more background around Ayurveda and a story to tell that made it really cohesive and strong. Yeah, and I like that. I like that point though that if if we think about on a basic level, this event is lentils, spices, and a mason jar. That isn't that our mind doesn't necessarily go to, oh, that's so great for Instagram. That's going to, you know, I imagine it actually would photograph quite nicely, but it doesn't feel like that super splashy thing that we sometimes see with pop-up events, right? Um, And I think your point being here is that it doesn't need to be splashy. It's still effective. Exactly. Mm, Exactly. Yep. Yep. And uh, (laughs) <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but even if it's not on the gram, it still happened. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> and, Thank uh, you for saying yeah, that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I work with brands all the time who, you know, they, they really care about making sure that their events hit social. And I get it. I absolutely get it. You want to get the more, you know, more bang for your buck and getting that amplification on social media is always a great uh, byproduct, but I don't, 
think we should design for social. I think if you design an experience that's awesome and people enjoy it and they can't wait to tell their friends about it, then it will end up on social, right? Versus kind of trying to design the gimmicky backdrop, hoping people will take that photo and share. Yes. And I've seen so many times where brands attempt to make an Instagram worthy event, but they don't quite nail it. So then all of a sudden they've got an unused, you know, hundred dollar backdrop that they've paid, paid for just sitting in the corner that looks kind of sad. Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> sad backdrop. <laughs> a sad backdrop. Okay, cool. So that, those are a few misconceptions. Can I ask you a couple more questions about events before we talk into how to do it on a budget? Yeah. Let's okay. I, I want to talk about, I've got two questions here. One, I'm wondering when we think about experiential marketing, when we're thinking about these in-person events, how often should people do them? Ooh, that's a tough or, question. <laughs> I know. And maybe I'll rephrase it. Like what, are there any yeah. key, key points in a brand's life cycle where they should do events? Yeah. 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 And, and it's a great question. So I'd say that for the majority of brands, assuming that their goal is to build brand awareness, which like I said, 99% of brands do events to build awareness and grow sales. Um, then yeah, I've, I've told brands you're too early. You know, it really mm-hmm. comes down to, is your product available for people to buy? Yep. Especially locally, right? So I know a lot of early stage companies, you know, they're just getting started and it might be a while before they're available nationwide. So I wouldn't say, oh, wait till you're, you know, in every Whole Foods in the country, because of course it's a chicken and egg problem. Well, how are you going to get there if you don't have the awareness, right? So I'd say if you have a good presence locally, then you can start doing events in your own town. Mm -hmm. Um, And that'll be enough to start moving the needle. Because really, I mean, and once again, I've, I've turned brands away who have said, oh, but we're, we're going to come out with it. And I'm like, well, come back to me when you come out with it. Um, Because otherwise you're going to have all this momentum. People will be at your event. They'll even be able to say, try your product. But if they want to buy it and it's not available, well, of course that's a wasted opportunity. Or if they want to tell their friends about it, right? They can't buy it. And so you, because it's an investment of time and money, you really want to go out with a big bang when you actually can uh, benefit from all of that uh, word of mouth that will yeah. be generated from your event. Yeah. yeah, I can totally relate to that. I I feel like the same thing goes with some of my clients who are really itching to go to Expo West, and they're like, uh, they're yeah. like, oh, all the brands go to Expo. Like, I got to do this. It's on my radar. Like, I've got the budget. Let's do it. I'm like, okay, well, you know, wh- how's your distribution? Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, I don't have a distributor yet. I'm like, well. Maybe, maybe we got to wait on Expo West because if you build a beautiful booth, you've got all this hype, you gain all this interest from buyers, and then you have no way to ship your product across the country, you're going to let down a whole bunch of people. So it sounds like it's the same exact thing with events. Yeah. And to answer your first question around frequency. So it is tough because it depends on the brand and it depends on how you want to prioritize events in your marketing mix. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say once a month is super aggressive. Um, Quarterly would be an awesome goal. Now, once again, there's a big difference between, you know, um, you know, demoing or being part (laughs) of, right. Uh, an existing event versus planning your own event. Right. So one of course takes a ton more work 
relative to the other. So um, rather than kind of think about, you know, frequency specifically, I'd say one of my pieces of advice, and I, I mentioned this a bit in um, the free guide that I'll talk about a bit later, um, is to kind of build your own event kit. So mm. this idea that you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. So if you get invited to a yoga studio or you get invited to um, like a pop-up, whatever it may be, uh, what's kind of your go-to experience for your target customer to engage with your product, right? So in the last example I talked about with the bone broth producer, mm-hmm. well, that Ayurvedic kit And by kit, I mean the jars, the labels, the marketing collateral, the tablecloth, like all of those things, uh, she can repurpose and flat out copy paste for future events. She's not going to saturate the market, right? Uh, Chances are new faces and new people will be seeing that. And that's okay. That can kind of be her go-to experience for her product. So uh, one of the things, you know, when, when you think about frequency, it's that it actually becomes easier to do more events yep. if you have this plug and play approach to it and you don't try and reinvent the wheel every time. Oh, I think that that is so brilliant because so often, and I even find myself stuck in this mindset, I think that I need to do something new every single time. I'm like, yeah. well, people have seen it. Like, oh, they must have seen my newsletter where I talked about that thing. But perhaps even switching that and saying, what if I could become known for this exactly. event? What if what if the people who come to this event on the first Monday of the month are then super psyched on it and telling their audience that I'm doing it again the following month? Um, that's such a smart idea. I, I love that. And you can tweak things very subtly just by seasons, right? So yeah. once again, in this Qatari example, you could make a spring one versus a summer one versus yep. a fall themed. Yep. So you're swapping out a few ingredients or you know whatever that might mean to your product. The idea is don't go create new flyers and rethink the whole design of it. Um, just, yeah, find that one thing that really works. And if you have to try a few great, but you really want it to be engaging and you want it to be something that once again, gets people to, uh, gets people to roll their sleeves up and get their hands dirty. Yeah. That's what leads to retention and, and for them to actually be able to recall your product when they see it on the shelves. I, yeah, I think that's so smart. And that, that idea of almost having like a swipe file of graphics yeah. and copy and all of the things that you're going to need to execute the event. And then you're literally like changing the date and changing the location on the, you know, on the social media post and you're yep. ready to go. Yep. Oh, I love that. I feel like that's such a great tip for saving not only money, obviously, but saving so much time. Yes. All right. Give me some other tips on saving money because I know that's what <laughs> I know that's what our listeners are looking for. They're like, okay, Allie, but like, just give me the money yep. tips. Um, yeah. what are some of your other favorite tips to save money when planning? Right. So this one shouldn't come to a surprise to most people, um, especially if they listen to Sally's episode with you, mm. but partner, 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 right? Yes. Yes. You don't have to go at it alone and you probably shouldn't. Um, there are so many benefits that come from partnering with a brand that is aligned with your values, um, that complements your product, right? So once again, if we talk about 
DIY something, right? Building your own chia seed bowls, for example, whatever it is that you're having people do, chances are you're going to need another product to make that experience complete, right? So it's not even about the free product. It's about the co-marketing opportunity, right? And being able for that uh, brand to tap into their audience and to bring them to your event. So I mean, like I said, Sally <laughs> and Parsnip, that's that's the go-to there for the partnership side of things. They've definitely got it dialed in. But I will say that from an event budget perspective, uh, just think about how great it would be to be able to co- cut your costs in half. And that's oh, what you could yeah. do with a partner. Yeah, that's really right smart. Partner. That's really smart. And for those of you who are listening and are like, oh, I missed this amazing episode about Sally. Like, who is she? <laughs> I will link that in the show notes. I think it was way back when I first started this podcast, Sally Rogers and I did a podcast episode on strategic partnering strategic partnerships for your food and Bev brands. It was a really good episode. Thank you for bringing that up. Cynthia. Yeah, absolutely. And um, another tip that I love, and, and all of these actually are in a free guide that I believe we'll share in the show notes. Yeah. Um, yep. we have 10 simple ways to basically do more with less. Um, and one of the other ideas in there that I found just to be super helpful as I was growing our events business is to find a super unconventional venue. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You Google San Francisco event venues, for example, uh, the results that pop up up are probably going to be awesome and beautiful and exactly what you want, but most likely out of your budget, right? So think... uh, And also one of the things here that is actually better is that if you find a venue through... Uh, you know, a partner, whether it's a yoga studio, a retailer, um, where your person is, uh, not only will it be cheaper or maybe free, but you'll actually be where your customer shops, where they go, where they frequent, right? So um, my advice is to look for uh, partners who have those physical spaces. Um, I keep talking about the yoga studio, but that's always what comes to mind. Yes. Uh, yes. Because, you know, oftentimes they they want to have events. They want to bring people that fit their demographic into their community. And if you can do that uh, by advertising your event and having it there, it's a win-win all around. Mm. So you don't really need to pay for a venue. I mean, some places will give it to you at a discount or maybe even free if you can offer the value and, and say, you know, how you plan to market it, how you plan to bring people in, and they will probably do the same on their end. And then once again, you can think of them as a partner, but on the venue side versus product. That's really smart. And I, I think there's nothing more heartbreaking than seeing an event that flops. And I think so often it happens because it's in the wrong, it's in the wrong venue or it's at, it's at a wrong location, an incorrect location for connecting with that brand's target audience, right? Like maybe that, let's talk about like that bone broth producer again. I love this example. She wouldn't pop up at a, this is extreme, but like at a vegan festival, right? Right. Like that's just not going to happen. Her people are not there. Um, but would, would she pop up at a yoga studio? Maybe, maybe her audience is doing yoga on the weekends and that would be a great partnership for her. 
Right. And then it's like, well, what type of yoga studio alley? Mm. <laughs> what, Great you know, question. what neighborhood, um, yep. what time slots, right? Like she actually was saying her demographic is older. So mm. weekday afternoons might be her, her jam. Right. So yeah. it's not even just the, uh, the venue itself, but exa- like the neighborhood, the time of day. Um, the other thing to, uh, other thing that's really interesting about this approach to just finding a venue by finding a partner really is that so many of these brands and in particular bigger brands, right? So uh, retailers, gym studios, they know that this experiential marketing thing is is where a lot of energy is going to. Mm -hmm. So they want to do events, right? So if you think about it, uh, there's definitely an aligned uh, mission and kind of creating these offline experiences. So by calling up one of these places and saying, Hey, like, this is what I want to do. And, and to have a really well thought out plan, of course, when you reach out to them, uh, and that that's probably an episode in and of itself. Um, the idea is that it should be a win-win, right? I I think most places would be excited to create an opportunity for that in-person community to come together. Yeah, absolutely. And realizing that if you're the person pitching, I imagine then you're the person who is project managing as well, right? So you need to be in charge of all of those details and make sure that you you execute on, that you deliver on the promise that you made to the venue. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cynthia, I think that you should do an episode on how to, how to be a great <laughs> brand partner. That sounds... I would love that. Yeah, <laughs> or you can I, come back on jot- here and do it later. <laughs> Jotting it down right now. <laughs> All right. Any other tips you want to talk about on the money side of things? Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Like I said, we have 10 in the guide. So uh, there are a range of ideas. Um, we also talk about working with influencers as a way to help amplify your message so you're getting more for your money. Uh, so a lot of good stuff in there. Awesome. Where can we find that guide? So I'm going to link it in the show notes and is, I imagine it's on your website as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's on our website and I believe it's at hiddenrhythm.com slash food biz whiz. Okay. Awesome. That's so easy. Thank you for making (laughs) an easy URL for me. And like I said, I'll put that in the show notes as well. Okay. So let's take a quick little break. We're going to catch our breaths and we will be right back. Food Biz Wiz is supported by Canva, my favorite tool for designing on-brand graphics for my business. I love it for my web graphics, my podcast graphics, and for my social media posts. And my clients love it for their sell sheets, trade show materials, shelf talkers, and promo kits. You are going to be blown away by how easy it is to use Canva, and I can't wait to see what you design. Try it out today by visiting the Canva link in my show notes and get to designing beautiful graphics within minutes. All right, Cynthia, I've got a few more questions for you before I let you go. I'm wondering if you can share with us a a little bit about a recent event that you've done that has been really successful or worked particularly well for your clients. Yeah. Yeah. So we touched on this 
briefly a little bit earlier. Um, so in September, we worked with Bear Snacks on a super exciting pop-up in LA. Um, now I'll just preface this by saying I'm sure you know people listening are like, oh, Bear Snacks—they have all this money, and you know how yeah. great that they can do these things. Um, but I'm going to talk you through the example and make make it clear that you know while it's flashy and cool, there are so many principles that you can apply. So I don't want to awesome. focus too much on on the fact that there were you know a lot of zeros in the budget. Um, <laughs> but but really like the points here. So first off, Bear Snacks. Uh, they make delicious fruit chips. Um, their apple chips are their main flagship product. So the whole idea was how do we tell the story of the process of making an apple chip, which is really just hmm. the apple being you know picked off the tree. It goes through a series of steps and then ends up being a bag of apple chips with nothing added, right? So it's a very pure product story, which I think few brands can actually yeah. uh, boast these days. So from our perspective, we were really excited to uh, bring an apple orchard to life in a city that doesn't ever experience fall, and that is LA. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we built an indoor apple orchard right off the Venice boardwalk um, in September, and it was pretty incredible. Um, we had <laughs> everything from a big fall leaf pit with an overhead camera so kids could play in it and kind of get that feeling of falling in the leaves. Oh, cool. Um, I mean, you, you've had fall, Allie, yeah, right? Exactly. Like you I in grew up Coast. in Connecticut. I grew up yeah. in Connecticut. So I did a lot of raking and <laughs> a lot of jumping in leaf piles. Yeah. That's such a fun kid experience. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was the target customer, um, they're millennial parents with toddler age children, right? So it was very clear from the beginning that we knew that. And I ask anyone planning an event, big, small, doesn't matter what your budget is. You have to have that target. Um, because even with bear snacks and the budget that we had, if we just said, Oh, we're going to try and reach everyone. The experience itself wouldn't have been as rich. Mm -hmm. So while we probably turned away some, you know, cool kids who you're like, you know, in their thirties that walked by and they're like, what is this apple orchard? They actually still came. But the idea is, you know, if you, if you're speaking to everyone, you're speaking to no one. Yes. Right. So we wanted to create an experience that really tapped into something that parents would love and kids in particular would love. So we had the fall leaf pit, for example. Um, we had an apple orchard where kids could actually pick an apple off the tree. Awesome. And it had a big fruit sticker on it that said there. Yep. So the kid, of course, could put the sticker on. And then we had this, I want to say contraption, but honestly, guys, it was it was very, uh, I don't know how to say it, like low budget-ish. <laughs> um, basically, you the kids could pick the apple and then they would put it into this contraption that would uh, go through each step of how it becomes a chip. So we were calling it apple in, apple out. That was kind mm -hmm. of our internal name. Cute. Um, yeah. So the apple would go in and there would be this tank at the bottom and the kid would see someone washing the apple. Um, these magical red gloves would appear and someone would be scrubbing the apple and then it would be removed. And next thing you know, there's an iPad screen that they jump to for the next step and the next step. So essentially, it was a series of five steps that at the end culminated in them opening a little box and their bag of bear snacks oh, was waiting for them. I love this. I can imagine it through the eyes of a little kid and it's just magical. Yeah. Yeah. And by the time this episode's live, we'll have it on our Instagram. We'll have the different photos. But awesome. it was, I'm telling you, like we nailed that toddler 
demographic. Like they <laughs> were so stoked. They did it multiple times. Um, and those hands were actually human powered. We had someone behind there washing it. We didn't get I was going to ask you about that. I was like, who does the washing? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Um, but really the, the key here and what made that event, that experience in particular, so, so successful for us at Hidden Rhythm is that we stuck to the values of what we wanted this event to do, right? Mm-hmm. We, yeah, we had a few photo moments, but it was more than just come in and take a cute selfie with a leaf pit. We actually wanted the child to connect with nature and to understand this is where your food comes from and this is how the product's made. So it didn't feel gimmicky and it didn't feel inauthentic, um, but it still was branded, right? So I think you can do all of those things at the same time. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like such a fun experience. <laughs> and I, I got to see a little bit of the behind the scenes on your yeah. Instagram stories. So we'll be sure to share that as well. Once, yeah. once the episode goes live, I'll put it in the show notes. Cool. And one more thing to add is that, uh, two more things. One is that we still worked with partners, right? Mm. So we still brought in, uh, Kavita Kombucha, Izzy, Native as well, um, Bob's Red Mill. So we had brand co-sponsors come in, not just financially into to give product, but also to help promote the event to their audience. Right. Yeah. So once again, it doesn't matter what size you are. Partnerships can really drive the success of your event. We also worked with influencers who led workshops. Right. So there's so many layers of. Uh, tactics that we used to help make the event richer and more engaging. Uh, but those are just a few of the things. And like I said, we'll have some of those photos up on, on our Instagram. So, uh, listeners can take a peek at, yeah, kind of put some photos to the words here. Absolutely. It's you guys, my listeners are going to love this. It's, it was a really beautifully executed event. And Cynthia, I, I know how much work you put into it. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I'm I'm sure you're glad it's off your shoulders and behind you now even if it was yeah. amazing. 9 months, 9 months in the making. Wow. <laughs> that is crazy. That's yeah. so crazy. I actually think that's a really great point for our listeners too that these events don't don't just happen overnight. Exactly. It's a lot of planning. Exactly. Yeah. And and they can happen quickly and they can happen in you know uh, with a with a small budget or they can, you know, be the complete opposite. And so it really depends on kind of what, what your goals are, what your timeline is. Like there's no copy paste with, you know, what another brand is doing. You really have to do what's right for your brand and your timeline. Yeah. It makes, that makes so much sense. Okay. I'm going to end with one question and I don't want to end on a on a bad note, but I do want to know if you can tell us a little, a few of the big mistakes that you see brands make in executing their events? Because you have seen so many of them. (laughs) I know you can tell us a little bit of of the what not to do, which is almost more important than the what to do. I know. I know. Yeah. This is such a downer. No, I'm kidding. We're going (laughs) to, we're going to spin this. We're going to end on a high note. Um, So two things. One is not capturing email. Mm. (laughs) Don't feel bad for asking or email addresses. If someone is at your event or someone comes by, uh, you want their email address and you want to be able to segment them and target them differently. And most importantly, you want to know if they ended up purchasing, right? So if you, for example, had an event at 
and, and maybe um, you're demoing, right? And yep. so you don't have signups in advance and people are just coming up. Um, if you have a, a way to collect their email address and then later on you see that, um, you know, perhaps if you have some sort of online sale where, yep. you know, people are only able to redeem a code online or you have some sort of promo code, uh, if you can tie it back to that event, that's pretty awesome. Now, it's, it's challenging to do that, of course, if your products are available in other you know, stores because you, of course, can't always make that link, but it's always better to get that information um, rather than not have it and assume that it's going to be worthless because that's not true, right? Everything from your email marketing strategy um, to your ad strategy, like you want to have email addresses. Yes. We talk about this so much in Retail Ready. And I swear that my students always come in saying that they don't really care about their email list. (sighs) And by the time they are done with Retail Ready, they're like, making sales through the inbox left and right. It's so important. Well, and the second mistake is tied to that. And that's not following up. Mm. I can't tell you how many brands, not even just brands, but as people, right? You're, you're done with an event. The last thing you want to do is wake up the next day and send that email to everyone. And (laughs) you're exhausted. You're tired. Like I get it. I mean, I would send those emails on behalf of our brands when we did events, uh, like influencer dinners, for example. And I mean, I knew how important it was, but even I was like, Oh, do we have to do this? Um, but you do, right? (laughs) So think about, yeah. I mean, think about if someone spends a few hours with you at a dinner, for example, and you know, they tell you that, oh, they're, you know, a food stylist. And next thing you know, your brand needs food styling for that photo shoot you have planned in six months. Like you want to keep that conversation going. Um, And so in a way you need to think about your, uh, event attendees, not only as potential customers, future customers, but also partners. You just never know who's in the room. So just be sure you follow up. Make sure you send a thank you to people for attending your event. Um, maybe you can do a quick survey that's just like on a scale of one to five. Like, would you recommend our workshop to a friend of yours, right? If you did a workshop, for example, um, keep it short and keep it simple, but you certainly don't want to just like completely neglect the fact that these people spent a significant time with you, or maybe they didn't, maybe they talked to you for 10 minutes. Uh, You really want to stay in touch and follow up. Oh, that's a great tip as well. Oh, those are two really good ones. Okay. I promised that I wasn't going to ask you any more questions, but I do have an important one because I know people are going to want to stay in touch with you. Yes. How can people keep in touch? Where can they find you? Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Um, so first off, if they, uh, if you guys want to get those 10 simple ways to maximize your ROI or do more with less, really, um, head over to hiddenrhythm.com slash food biz whiz, right? So once you download that, you'll be on my weekly email list, um, which is great because I send you know, a variety of tips, uh, inspiration, notes, really all cater to the natural food and wellness community from kind of that experiential lens. So once you get that download, you'll be in my emails every week. Um, we, I'm also on Instagram. So hidden underscore rhythm 
is where you'll find um, some good stuff there, Um, as well as Facebook. So all of the things. Um, So on Facebook, if you search for the group, The Experiential Table, it is a private Facebook group um, that I kicked off um, a little over a month ago or so, and it's been fantastic. We talk about all things experiential in the food and wellness space. Um, So if you are looking for ideas, inspiration, you have questions, whatever you may you know have on your mind, that's a really good place to share. And everyone in there is really a beginner. We're all learning from each other. So uh, feel free to join that group. And I think across all of those channels, we're all set. Yeah. And I will say for my listeners, you guys, Cynthia's emails are awesome. I... I get bombarded with emails and Cynthia, yours is one that I open on the weekly. I I think it's filled with such great tips that even I can use in a business that doesn't do many in-person events uh, with my clients. So I love your email list. Your Facebook group is awesome. You know, your Instagram is beautiful. I'm going to link all of those (laughs) in the show notes and we'll make sure that people have lots of ways to stay in touch with you. So Cynthia, thank you so much for your time today. You just dropped so much knowledge on us. You saved us so much money and I am so appreciative that you came on Food Biz Wiz today. Thank you so much, Allie. This was so fun and hope we can chat again soon. I hope so too. Bye. Bye bye. Okay, my whizzes. I hope our time with Cynthia has inspired you to recommit to executing in person events as you now understand the importance of connecting in real life with your target consumers. As Cynthia mentioned, don't forget about her free PDF on the 10 simple ways to maximize your ROI, which I will link directly in the show notes, as well as her own podcast, The Experiential Table. I am a huge fan of it, and I know that you will be too. So from here, again, don't forget to pop on over to Food Biz Whiz, my Facebook group. I love to continue the conversations over there. I'd love to talk to you about your next upcoming event. And Cynthia's in there too. So click on the link in the show notes or head over to foodbizwiz.com to join us. I cannot wait to hear all of your great ideas for connecting with your target audiences in real life. And as always, thanks for listening and check back next week for another episode on brand strategy. Until then, have a great week and stay busy. Thank you for listening to Food Biz Wiz, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a beat. Hungry for more? Check out www.foodbizwiz.com. That's food, B-I-Z-W-I-Z.com for detailed show notes from all episodes. Thanks again for tuning in and stay busy.